Welcome everyone to Lowell Assembly Online Services. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at LAG. If you're tuning in via Vimeo, Facebook, or YouTube, I just want to take the time out to thank you for joining us today. Jesus in Matthew 18 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I believe Jesus has given us a timely and appropriate word, and I just again want to thank you for tuning in. I would be remiss to not ask for the Lord's blessing over our time together, so would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, your peace, and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would make your word applicable to us, that you would make it understanding, and that we would be able to use and apply it in our lives. Father, be with us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. For the lack of better words, 2020 has been one for the books. As we speak, we're in the middle of a pandemic that has forced the world as we know it to a grinding halt. Social, civil, and political unrest has bludgeoned the very nature of human discourse. North, south, east, west, no matter where you look, turn, and run to, malevolence, narcissism, and a litany of immoralities have integrated with our society. Paul foretold us of this in Timothy chapter 3, when he speaks of difficulty, people being arrogant, slanderous, and lovers of self. Under forceful coercion of a dear friend, I uh, recently started watching The Office, and in the opening scene, Michael Scott, who is one of the main characters, is presented as this oddly boastful man. He speaks haughty of himself, appearing to be better than he is. In a way, he is a micro-comedic example of the people Paul is referring to. In Paul's writing to Timothy, though, his concern isn't with the world. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 30, I no longer talk with much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim to me. The ruler in which Jesus is referring to is Satan. And with the knowledge of this, Paul is writing not about the world, but about the church. We know this because he finishes his statement concerning the difficulties of the last days by saying, lovers of pleasure rather than God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I once heard this quote, and for the sake of watching it, I'm going to say it a couple times so you can repeat it with me. And the quote goes a little bit like this. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. Let me say it again. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. See, God isn't in the business of leaving his people in the middle of their mess. As a matter of fact, his intentions are not only to rescue us, but to give us his strength and fullness to endure and be delivered. The hope of that is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul is imprisoned in the face of pain, anguish, and death. Yet on bed and knee, he prays this prayer found in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to his riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit 
in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we think and ask, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The significance of Paul's prayer is more than noteworthy. In the middle of finding himself in the worst of worst places, under the worst of worst conditions, Paul on bended knee is praying not for himself, but for others. See, Paul is praying as if it were for his own heartbeat. Paul's prayer is ubiquitous. It isn't contingent on health, race, or political stance. Verse, 18, verse 15 states, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul isn't asking for specific people with a specific agenda. Paul is praying for every family, for every human. He is petitioning God on behalf of God's creation. I'm almost certain but that we've all, but strictly speaking for myself, have said, if I just had more money or if I had X amount of money, I'd be able to do this. We equate money and riches with the ability to do so much and have impact, influence, and capability. In this prayer, Paul petitions God for the riches of his glory. He is beckoning in the creator from whom all that was and is created on our behalf to be strengthened in our inner being. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to dwell with and in the disciples. And this is the same spirit in which Paul is seeking for the Ephesian church. We often get caught up in minute remedies that we think will make things right, i.e. if I could just get this person to think that this is the right way to carry themselves or this is the right way to vote. See, Paul isn't requesting that God change the way people look or change their political opinion or get them to live by a certain set of rules. He is praying that God enters them, enters their heart via the Holy Spirit and that they're changed from the inside out and not only become bound to what is right, but desire it. Lest we get caught up in rules and decrees that when the inevitable failure to adhere to them arise, we can place blame on it rather than the intentions of our own hearts. I remember one summer I was maybe 16 and I was working landscaping and one of our tasks was to uproot these bushes. I thought, you know, no big deal. Stick a shovel in the ground, pull it out, job done, pay me my money. Little did I know of how deep the roots of the bushes went into the ground. We must have spent an entire day digging, hacking, and excavating this bush. And when we were finally done, there was a giant hole in the ground. And that's when I realized how deep roots ran. Roots form a foundation deep into the soil so that if a strong wind comes, the bush isn't simply blown away. Or if a strong rain passes, it isn't washed away. The roots form in order to sustain the life of the bush. And in Paul's prayer, this is what he is asking of God to do 
for the church. He says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts, being rooted and grounded in love. The Greek word kardeia, it refers to the center of one's being, both physical and spiritual, that which makes the individual what he or she is. See, when we are rooted in Christ, when he becomes as essential to us as breathing, it will enable us as the body of Christ, the church, to verse 18 and 19, have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays this, remember, on his knees, imprisoned, so that we may understand, comprehend, and realize that is so much bigger, so much grander than our jobs or our bills or what side of the political spectrum we fall on or what rules we try not to break. He prays this so that God can grant us the understanding of how wide, how long, how deep, and how high the love of Christ is that surpasses knowledge. That surpasses knowledge. That is such intriguing wording to me. See, knowledge is defined as facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. The theoretical or practical understanding of a subject. In layman terms, knowledge is logic. Knowledge is making sense. So what Paul is saying in his prayer to God is to make them understand your love and be so entrenched in it that even if they were to lose all they hold dear, all that they, if, even if they were to lose all that makes sense to them, they would still cling to your love. In fact, they would give it all up and gladly so for your sake. He is praying that the knowledge of God and his love would be the springboard to all that makes sense and apart from that, nothing matters. Paul, knowing whom God is and knowing whom he was praying for, prefaces the closing of his prayer with great intention. Verse 20, Paul states, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, think, according to the power at work within us. By saying this, Paul is asking for a power and provision greater than the church could imagine. Why? Because the task at hand is greater than the working of a man. The reinvigoration of minds and the mending of hearts require more than simple human knowledge and medicine. Paul knew that in order to find true reconciliation and to experience God's true love in its fullness and entirety, that we would need the workings of something far greater than what we could ask or think. So he pleased to God. The Greek word ekklesia, usually translated as church, means those who were called out. Paul, with extreme earnestness, and zeal communes with God on the behalf of churches and asks them to strengthen through his spirit with his fullness to his glory those who were called out. 
the church. So, in the midst of these trying times, in the face of strife, divisiveness, ambiguity, and an aptitude toward ungodliness, we, the church, ought to take heed to Paul's prayer. As he sat in a cell of a Roman prison, his request could have conceivably been for freedom or something that catered to his own personal need or gain. But Paul prayed on bended knee in complete submissiveness to the Lord. He prays for the church to be strengthened by God's spirit in the fullness of his glory to go into the world, not with bombastic or pretentious attitude, but legitimized and empowered with the Holy Spirit by God to be the light in a dark world, to hearken to those who are ostracized and shunned. I'm not saying the church is to be apolitical or not have an opinion. What I'm saying is that we have a mandate that supersedes race, creed, health status, political standing, and that mandate is to be a refuge for the weary, the haven for the abused, because Jesus died not just for me or for you, but for all. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Father, in light of that truth, we come to you, Lord God, humbled, hungry, and waiting. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit in its entirety, in its fullness, Lord, for your glory to be vessels of light in a dark world. Let us be sustenance to the hungry, hydration to the thirsty. And Lord God, use us. Use us, God, to be an example of you in this world. Father, we do not take the opportunity lightly. We take it with full humbleness and abandon. And we pray that you will do your will in our lives and our hearts. That you would bring us together under your banner. And that we would live according to your will. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for our online services. If you've missed something or you want to go back and review this message, you can do that by searching Lowell Assembly of God on Spotify or in your Apple podcast app. You can also follow us on social media and stay tuned into lowellag.org to keep up to date on everything we have going on as we look towards the future. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.